Well, good morning, Church of Cane Bay. I am so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is David Barton, and I'm the pastor at Creekside Church. And uh, I am delighted to be with you this morning. Many of you, uh, if you know and remember me, I was on staff here for three years before uh, we were sent out to plant Creekside Church. And um, it, again, it's a delight to be with you this morning. Obviously, this is not the way that we expected to be together, um, but we are together nonetheless. And um, we're in this series uh, called Vows, right? We're talking about marriage and we're talking about wedding vows. And I'm reminded about a time uh, several years ago, whenever my grandparents had their 50th anniversary. And as a part of their 50th anniversary, what they wanted to do was they wanted to have a ceremony to renew their vows, to renew those words that they had said to each other 50 years ago. And they asked me if I would officiate the renewing of the vows. And it was a, an exciting time. It was probably one of the more um, honoring things that I've ever got to do as a pastor was to uh, just be a part of that ceremony and to walk through those vows with them. And as we were going through the vows and they were reciting those same words that they had said to each other 50 years ago, uh, I have to admit that we laughed a little bit and we chuckled a little bit at some of those words. Um, you see, whenever we get to that portion of the vows, uh, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, um, we laughed because we were pretty sure that they had faced some of the worst times of their marriage already. Um, they had certainly lived as poor folk and they had lived on just a, a, enough to get by. They had seen sickness, surely. And 50 years later, of course, it seems like things are just better. It, it's not going to get any worse than it was uh, through that process of being married. And so we, we laughed at that and we enjoyed it. I, I even think I made a joke that they certainly wouldn't have to worry about being any poorer than they were whenever they started. Um, but, you know, what's ironic about that is whenever they were walking through the process they weren't laughing 30 or 40 years ago. They weren't laughing whenever they were walking through the worst times of marriage. It hurt. And it was something that was not easy to get through. They were certainly not laughing in the hard times. And you see, most married couples on the day of their wedding, they say something along those lines. Um, I take thee to be my husband or my wife for better or worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. You see, on the day of your wedding, we don't talk about it, we don't think about it, but sometimes uh, chances are really, really high um, that things are going to get worse. Chances are high that after you get married, there's a good chance that you will walk through times of your marriage where you are maybe poor, and you do have to worry about finances. You do have to worry about income. Chances are good that you're going to walk through seasons of your marriage where at least one of you is sick. Maybe a physical sickness or an emotional sickness or even a spiritual sickness. Chances are really good that you'll have to walk through those experiences of life. 
But you see, here's what I, I know is that sometimes we often find ourselves in situations that we never expected to be in. We say those words, we say those vows, we make those vows, but whenever reality hits, sometimes it, it can feel like, hey, I didn't really sign up for this. Sometimes it can even get so bad that we don't even know if we can hang in there the way we said that we would. And that's why I think it's important for us to back up, to back up for just a second, to ask ourselves why marriage exists in the first place, why marriage exists or why God gave us marriage. Pastor Will said last week that God ordained marriage, that he created marriage, not man. And so we need to ask ourselves why God created marriage in the first place. And when we understand why God created marriage, then of course it is going to help us as we walk through those difficult times. So we're going to talk about it from a 30,000 foot view and then we'll talk about it on the ground. You see, God ultimately created marriage for one reason, but here's what culture says about marriage. Culture gives different reasons for why marriage exists. Let me give you just a few examples. Culture says that marriage exists so that we can have a forever companionship and never be lonely. Or so that we can spend the rest of our days and the rest of our lives with our, quote, best friend. Let me tell you why this is a bad idea. Marriage does not exist for companionship. And one of the main reasons why is that there's going to be days where it doesn't feel like the other person is your forever companion. There's going to be days where it doesn't feel like that's my best friend anymore. There's going to be days where it feels like the other person is your enemy in a sense and not really your best friend. And so really we don't want to think that marriage exists and that marriage was created so that we could spend the rest of our lives with our best friends. Otherwise, whenever things get tough and whenever you're not as good of friends as you used to be, sometimes we think that that is a license to walk away. The second cultural reason is simply this, that many would say that marriage exists for romance and for intimacy. It is a place for us to safely meet our desires and needs. Well, if that's why marriage exists, then when things get stale or when things get boring or our needs aren't met, then sometimes we think that this is a license to walk away. Both of these ideas are wrong. Now, listen to me. They are byproducts of marriage. They are good things that we get, but it's not ultimately why God intended marriage. And the bottom line this morning, if you don't take anything else away from this, is simply this, that God created marriage and marriage ultimately exists to display the glory of God. We talk about that word glory sometimes, God's radiance or God's beauty, God's um, power, all of those things. Marriage exists, not just your marriage, but the idea of marriage as a concept. It exists to display the glory of God, particularly through Christ's relationship to us, his church. Think about it. What do most people say when you ask them why they're excited to get married? Somebody gets engaged and 
They, they've got that big wedding coming up and you were to ask them, hey, what are you most excited about getting married? Well, you're generally going to hear one of three answers. One is companionship and never being lonely. Two is that, hey, I'm spending the rest of my life with my best friend. Or if you ask some random dude, he will say uh, sex or intimacy. You generally get one of those three answers, companionship, friendship, um, not being lonely or intimacy. And every engagement pic that you see on Instagram or Facebook, it always says the same thing that, hey, I'm so excited that I get to marry my best friend. They're all excited about one of those three things. But here's the thing. When one of those things, if it's companionship, friendship, loneliness, or, or intimacy, when any one of those things fail us, sometimes, especially in American culture, we are scratching our heads and we don't know if we can make it through. We don't know if I really even signed up for this in the first place. And so that's why it's good for us to, to come back and understand why it exists in the first place. I'm telling you, whenever an eight pack goes from a four pack and goes to a keg, listen, we're not really sure if that's what we signed up for. But again, if it's all about the glory of God, if it's all about exhibiting him and showing him and displaying him, then no matter what happens, for better or worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and in health, we can stick it out. No matter what, if it is about God's glory. And so I want to show you where we get this in Scripture. This is not something that I'm coming up with. I want to show you where we get this in Scripture. I'm going to show you how we get there. And I'm going to show you um, where we get this understanding and how we can live it out and play it out in our daily lives. So go to Ephesians 5. We're going to be in verse 22. Starting in verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this is a big verse. I want you to lean in with me here. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, lo let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, everything that I'm talking about and why marriage exists in the first place for the glory of God, we're talking about all that, it can be summed up in verse 32. He says, again, I'll just read it out to you real fast. 
This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, whenever Paul uses this word mystery, he's not saying that it's something perplexing that we can't understand, but he's saying that, hey, what was hidden in the past has now been revealed. And he's saying that the confines and the, the construction and the instruction of marriage, the gift of marriage, we now know why it exists. And it exists to be a picture of Christ's relationship to his church. That's generally not the way that we think about marriage. That's generally not the way that we would define why marriage exists. But marriage is meant to be a picture of the relationship between Jesus and us. And this is something that is going to take forever of life to play out. We get a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church through the confines of marriage. It is a constant gift reminding us of our relationship to Jesus Christ. Listen to this language. I want to, I want to just walk through this passage and just point out a few things to you, okay? This is what he says, that Christ is the head of the church, that the church submits to Christ and his leadership, that Christ has given himself up for the church, that Christ is sanctifying his bride or working within his bride to make it more pure and to make it more perfect. That Christ is nourishing and cherishing his bride. And he says that this is why marriage was given to us to show us again Christ's relationship to his church. And so this is a 30,000 foot view of why marriage exists and what marriage is. Now, again, I don't know about you, but in my walk with God and in my relationship with God, guess what? Even as a pastor... There are moments of growth and seasons of growth, and then there are long stretches and long seasons where I just need a ton of grace. I need grace every day. There's moments where I grow. There's moments where I see barriers and benchmarks and checks. I'm growing in Christ, and then I go through a lot of seasons where, man, I just need a lot of grace from the Lord. And so it is with marriage. We see seasons of growth in our marriage, we see moments where we're making great strides and, and we're seeing each other grow in Christ and seeing things put to death. And then there's the reality of it where we just have seasons where we have to exhibit and show a lot of grace, more grace than we ever thought we would have to show. We have awesome moments and those mountaintop moments and then we have the valleys. And so this is what marriage is supposed to look like. From a 30,000 foot view, from the from the uh, uh, bird's eye, this is what marriage is supposed to look at. But let's talk about it from a ground level. OK, what does it look like within the confines of marriage? How is it that we are supposed to operate with one another? Well, if you look, he tells us specifically in verse 22 and verse 24, he says that wives are to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And he says that as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, let's talk about this word submit for just a second. In the original Greek language, this word means hupatasso. That's how you would say it, hupatasso. 
And we see this in other passages of the Bible. And I'll give you an example of where we see this word. If you remember back in one of the earlier Gospels, whenever Jesus is with his family and they are at the synagogue together. And of course, his family leaves to go back home and they forget that they have left Jesus there. And so they go back, they're, they're scrambling, they're searching for Jesus. And they ultimately find him in the synagogue and he's teaching and they say, hey, what are you doing here? It's time for us to go home. Where have you been? And the scripture tells us that Jesus in this moment, Hupatasso, he concedes to his family. He submits to his mother and father. He honors them. And so whenever Paul is giving this to the church, these instructions to the church, he's really just talking about an order of things. And he's laying out this picture again as the church submits to Christ in our relationships. Ultimately, our wives are instructed to, to submit, hupatasso. Now, what is that word? Again, what does that word submission mean? We, we talk about it all the time in churches, and maybe if this is the first time you've ever heard it, welcome. A um, little bit awkward, all right? So let's define what that word submission means. I love this definition. I'm going to steal it from one of my favorite pastors. His name is John Piper, and uh, he explains this in a book called The Meaning of Marriage. He says this, that submission is the divine calling of the wife. So again, God-given. It is the divine calling of the wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it out according to her gifts. So that God has gifted you and God's blessed you and the ways that God has gifted you and blessed you, you are use those gifts in order to honor your husband's leadership, to help him carry out, help him carry out his leading abilities. And so again, if we're going to mirror Christ's relationship to the church, we follow his leading. We trust that he has our best interest at heart. And so we, we want to listen to what Christ says, again, trusting that he has our best interest at heart. And so this is what marriage is to look like. But I want to add one caveat, okay? I want to add just a few caveats. Remember that marriage is a picture, it is a metaphor, but it is not a perfect representation. It is similar, but it is not exactly the same thing. It does not mean that wives have no room to disagree with their husbands. Wives, if your husband makes a decision that you disagree with, guess what? It's perfectly okay. You can disagree with your husband you have room and you have, um, you have ideas that, and giftings that you are certainly able to bring to the table. If your husband has an idea that you don't like, there is room for disagreement and discussion. There's room to pray through it. There's been many a times in our marriage, my wife Ashley and I have disagreed on things. And as the husband, as the one who is supposed to lead, and as the wife who is supposed to honor my leadership, that doesn't mean that I throw away her opinions. That doesn't mean that we don't have room to discuss those things. And so we call a timeout, right? We, we say, hey, let's, let's put a pause on this. Let's pray about it. Let's discuss it some more. Let's figure this out to make sure that we are on the same page before we move forward. And so certainly there's room to disagree with things. Again, it, it also doesn't mean that your husband is perfect. All right. Only Jesus is perfect. Jesus is Lord. 
And he is that representation for us, but it doesn't mean that our husbands are perfect. If your husband, um, if, he, if he's trying to lead, listen, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to make decisions sometimes that end up being more for the detriment of your family than they are for the betterment of your family. He's not perfect. It doesn't mean that he's Lord and that everything that he does is, is going to be ultimately commendable. Listen, he needs your help. He needs your support. He needs your prayers. He needs you fighting for him and using your feelings and using your gifts and using your brain for whatever he's doing. He needs all of those things. So please bring those things to the table. It also doesn't mean that you have to wait on him to pursue the Lord. If your husband is not leading your family, if your husband is not calling you to prayer time, calling you to Bible study time. Listen, you pursue the Lord even if he's not willing. You be the one to take the family to church if your husband's not willing to do those things. You say, hey, we're still going to pray. We're still going to gather around the word. Don't necessarily wait on him to do that. But certainly in those moments, pray for him, encourage him. And lastly, it certainly doesn't mean that because we have that word there, submit. It does not mean that our ladies are supposed to walk in fear of an authoritative husband. For many, many years, these passages have been abused and, and misused for husbands to treat their wives in an authoritarian type of relationship. And certainly this is not the picture that Christ wants us to give to the world around us. And this is not even the picture that Christ sets before us as the church. Christ is gracious to us. Christ gives us seasons of growth. He is loving. He is not, certainly he is authoritative, but he doesn't show that authority to us as he could. And so in those moments, listen, we need to understand um, that, that ladies, if you're under an authoritarian husband, listen, this is not the picture that Christ ultimately has for his church. It is a wrong one. And so that's what we see there, that the ladies are, are given. So let's move on to the role of the husbands. We see this in verses 25 through 29, where he lays it on thick for the guys. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, there's just a few things that jump out to me from this passage, and the first of which is that Christ shows husbands what their role is like in marriage by giving himself up for his bride. We talked about that authoritarian point of view. Listen, um, Jesus gave himself up for his bride. He died for his bride. And so it is with our husbands that sometimes, listen, we die to ourselves. We die to our hopes. We die to whatever we want to watch on the TV. We die in our timing of things and we allow our wives to pursue their dreams. It says that he gave himself up for her, that he is now sanctifying his bride, that he is nourishing his bride. Listen, men, I hope you understand that we have a very tall task that we have been given a very tall task and an incredible responsibility as husbands. Listen, we're not talking about submitting. We're talking about dying. We are talking about our role as husbands where Jesus died for his bride. 
And so it is with us that we die to our desires sometimes. Husband, show your wife a good picture of Jesus and do the dishes. Show your wife a good picture of Jesus and take out the trash. Show your wife what Jesus is like and change the diapers. Give her some time to be out with her friends. Love like Jesus. Give yourself up for your wife. But this is not the only thing that Jesus does, is it? It says that he is now sanctifying her and nourishing her. So men, this simply means to us, lead. Lead your wife. Lead your family. Take your wife to church. Take your family to church. Be the one who gets up early in the morning, who gets everything ready and who makes it a priority to be there, to, to be the father who says, hey, we're going to study the scriptures. We're going to pray together. Listen, your wife wants you to pray with her. Your children won't say it, but they want you to pray with them. They want to be led. Set good boundaries for your family. Be the one who steps up and says, hey, we're not going to participate in this. We're not going to do this. We're not going to watch this. We're not going to go there. Take your family on vacation. Be willing to provide. We see two pictures of Jesus, two pictures of Jesus in the lion-likeness of Jesus and the lamb-likeness of Jesus. Be the lion and the lamb of your family. Be the protector. Be the provisionary leader. But also be the one who's most willing to serve, just like Jesus. And so ultimately, again, the marriage it is a picture of God's relationship to his bride, the church. And so if marriage exists for the glory of God, then listen, I, I think we should just take just a brief moment and a brief pause to talk to anybody who is single or who is not married or who hopes to be married one day, or maybe you just don't want to be married at all. Listen, if marriage exists for the glory of God, then so does singleness. So does singleness. Living for God's glory is not something you have to be married to do. In fact, I would say this, that you have even a greater opportunity to use your times and to use your gifts without those other major responsibilities. God may grant you marriage if that's what you want down the road at some point in your life. But until then, listen, you have a gift and it is called time and it is called uh, a less amount of responsibilities possibly. So use that time and use that gift wisely. Take risks. Be one who is more willing to go on the mission trips around the world for a longer period of time. Use this as a gift and not as a curse. You don't have to be married to be used for the glory of God. Take risks. Last but not least, listen, I hope that we understand again that marriage is all about the glory of God. Marriage and singleness both, it should all point to him. I, I want us really to understand the seriousness of this. like The seriousness of the marriage relationship and how it is to point to Jesus and how we point everybody else around us to Christ through the relationship that we have with others. We get to show everyone around us how good Jesus is by the way that we love each other. We get to show the world around us how good Jesus is in the way that we bear with one another 
and tons of grace. We get to show the world how Jesus loves. You see, our marriage, our marriages, it can be the greatest testimony to unbelievers. Because whenever they see us obviously hurt and obviously offended by the other party, whenever we show grace and whenever we work with them that we show patience toward the other person, it shows to the rest of the world and they say, man, I, I believe that there's something different about them and the way that they show grace to each other. And it can only be through Jesus Christ. One of my favorite things to do at weddings is um, now having performed several weddings, I, I do what many people like to do and I like to watch the groom as the bride comes down. Um, the last wedding I actually performed, the groom passed out. So he wasn't watching any bride come down because he was passed out. Um, but nine times out of 10, the, the groom is doing what? As the bride is walking down, the groom is standing there. He might be crying. He might be filled with emotion. He's usually filled with this big grin on his face. He is filled with joy. He is beaming with pride. And it is usually just a priceless reaction, a priceless picture as he beams with pride, waiting on his bride to walk down the aisle. And I believe that what Ephesians 5 is telling us is that our heavenly groom is standing at the altar, waiting on his bride, the church, to be ushered in. He is standing there at the altar, beaming with pride and beaming with joy, saying, look, there is my Bride, He is at the gates of heaven ready to receive us. But as he's waiting on us, he's waiting in patience. He's waiting with grace. He's showing us forgiveness. He is letting us grow, being sanctified to rid ourselves of any impurities. But in the meantime, there's no limit on his love. There's no limit on his forgiveness. There's nowhere that he would not be willing to stoop for his bride. He would pull us out of any circumstance, out of any place to show just how great his love is for us. And so if this is what Jesus is willing to do for his church, if this is what Jesus is willing to do for you, then this is the picture before us of what we should be willing to do for our spouse. This is the type of love that we need for each other. That there's no hurdle we're not willing to cross. That there's nothing we're unwilling to do. There's no place we're unwilling to go. We need to love like Jesus with a whatever it takes type of love. If it means getting rid of secret sins and bringing out confession, if it means being willing to go and see a counselor if it means working less. Whatever it is, we show people what Jesus is like by showing grace and waiting for growth. So wherever your marriage is this morning, wherever you see yourself hurting the most, you have to ask yourself, where do we see Jesus treating his church this way? Is this a moment in time where we need grace? Is this a moment in time where we should work together to try and find a better picture of healthiness, to better show a picture of growth and grace? 
This is what it means for us to use our marriages for the glory of God. This is what it means to show the world what Jesus is like through the way that we treat each other. And so may we take this with seriousness and may we be willing to do whatever it takes for better, for worse, richer, for poor, in sickness and in health to say, hey, this is how good our God is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to see clearly from your scriptures what your relationship to the church is like. God, and you have given us a gift to see this every single day, and it is the gift of marriage. Lord, sometimes we don't treat marriage as a gift. Sometimes we treat it as um, a relationship that is man-made. Sometimes we see it as um, something that is temporary and something that is trivial. No, no, no. This is something that you have given us as an eternal picture for how you see us and how you treat us, how you deal with us. And so I pray, God, that we would strive all the more to treat each other the same way that you treat your bride, the church. That we would deal with each other in love and in grace. That we would have good pictures of leadership and submission, that we would order things well, that we would treat each other with respect and with dignity, just as you have done that for us. We pray that all of our marriages would picture your relationship to your church and that ultimately every marriage would strive to show your glory to the rest of the world. Lord, I pray for that couple this morning that is watching this, that is hurting I pray that if there need to be confession, Lord, that there is confession, no more sins, no more secrets. I pray for the couple, Lord, that may need to take a next step by coming to see a pastor or by going to see a counselor. Lord, whomever it is that's listening to to this this morning, Lord, and really hurting and struggling, Lord, I pray that you call them out of that to give them true health. Rescue them the way that only you can. And use, even this moment, Lord, the the worst of times, um, use it for your name and for your glory. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.